But I've got this uh, utility I know, you know about, it's called Socrative. Gives you the opportunity to give me a little feedback. Dot com. And the room number is 50168. Just put that in there and you, it uh, doesn't have any, When I hear that, when I say there's a little, I get a little feedback. Uh, I remember a guy I know named Stan Toller, maybe some of y'all know that. He said, uh, you know you're a preacher if you'd like to give the sound guys some feedback sometimes. <laughs> you never notice that. that uh, sometimes the sound guys need a little feedback, but uh, not today. Uh, in John chapter 12, we're uh, finished up. I want, I want to remind you again here where we are that we're, we're dealing with some of these matters in these conversations with Jesus on this kind of adjusting uh, to what I'm going to call reality is trying to, to get our minds and hearts uh, uh, corralled, if you will, at some level and uh, uh, understand what, what Jesus is saying here to these people and to us. Now, John 12, in this particular passage, this is the shift, or if you will, in the book that Jesus will now leave the crowds. He will no longer meet with the crowds. He will no longer talk to people. He will only be with his disciples. In fact, you see there in John 12, at the end of verse 36, when he says, while you have the light, believe in the light. He's referring to himself. I'm the light. He, he is revealing who God is. He's revealing what salvation is. He's revealing the plan of God to human beings. So he's saying, while you have the light, believe in it. And then it says, these things he spoke and he went away and hid himself from them. So from this point on in the Gospel of John, there is no more, if you will, of these conversations with Jesus with the public or with the crowds. or with the, He's now removing himself and the rest of the book of John is uh, this uh, study of his uh, time with his disciples and his uh, passion and crucifixion. Now, we want to look at that because... It seems to me there is sort of a summation or a summary of his ministry here. Uh, I, I'll, I'm going to start reading here when it says right these. But verse 36b, these things Jesus spoke and then he went away and uh, hid himself from them. But though he had performed so many signs before them, yet there were those not believing in him. This was to fulfill the word of Isaiah the prophet, which he spoke Lord, who has believed our report, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For this reason they could not believe, for Isaiah said again, He has blinded their eyes, hardened their hearts, so they would not see, so they would not see that their eyes would not perceive and their heart, uh, not perceive with their heart, and be converted that I might heal them. These things Isaiah said, because he saw his glory, speaking of Jesus, and he spoke of him. Nevertheless, now this is really interesting here because I want to try to unpack this. Because this term here, nevertheless, it says, many, even of the rulers, believed in him. And what you have here is uh, almost this contrast of uh, John telling us that even though Jesus done lots of, lots of miracles, they did not believe in him. And yet, by the end of this passage, he says, nevertheless, even though that is the circumstance and situation, there were, notice what he says, many of the rulers believed in him. We're going to have to look at that, what, that tension there about not believing, why that happening, and believing and why that's happening. And he says here, and so John uh, continues to record when he says, they believed in him, but because of the Pharisees, they were not confessing him. 
for fear they would be put out of the synagogue. For they, these rulers and people of Jew, Israel, for they love the approval of men rather than the approval of God. So you really have some tension here where John is summing up, if you will, this matter about belief. Some did believe and some did. You know, he's trying to help us. I think it's his summation of the ministry of Jesus to the crowds. When you read this, you, you got to read it all because it, lend, it, at least on a first glance, it seems to lend one to think, well, uh, these people didn't believe because they couldn't and God made them not. And then yet here's this other group that did believe with no other uh, kind of explanation. So we're going to look at this adjusting our understanding of reality to the issue of belief. That's pretty central, isn't it? Kind of, kind of important that uh, we understand this final summation of what it is about belief. It's pretty basic. Uh, I, I was thinking about this uh, just the other day that whenever I, or, or this morning or whenever, I don't know, I've been on the road. It could have been in Kansas. <laughs> but you know, I was, I was uh, writing this the other day. I said, you know, uh, one of the things that is ha I'm happy about is uh, uh, at least preseason football has started, right? <sighs> Man. I was watching golf and bowling and whatever this Red Bull thing about people jumping bicycles over a sand dune and they're 38 years old. I don't get that, you know. I just, I don't get it. Yeah, man, I like, I did that the other day, you know. Like, you're 38 years old and you're still riding a bicycle? <laughs> uh, but, but, you know, when I think about this, I think about uh, this time and, and all of the changes that are going on. And, and I think about football, the, the essentials. And, and I'm always amazed when I think about this, about Vince Lombardi. You, you may not have heard of him. He was the legendary coach of the Green Bay Packers, the arch enemy of the Dallas Cowboys, that they stole the game with Jerry Kramer jumping. But I'll leave that alone. Uh, uh, but when, when and Lombardi is the person they named the Super Bowl trophy, it's the Lombardi Trophy. So he's had a tremendous influence on football over the years. And in 1961, after they had lost to the Philadelphia Eagles in the NFL playoffs, they were leading in the fourth quarter, but they lost it at the end of the game with Bart Starr and, you know, all of these guys, uh, uh, Jim Horning uh, and uh, Carol Dale and Ray Nitschke. The next time when they come back to camp, uh, these guys tell this story that Lombardi uh, comes into the room after this stunning defeat. And they had to deal with it all through the offseason. That Lombardi walks into the room with Bart Starr, Ray Nitschke, Carol Dale, Paul Horning, Herb Adderley, all of these guys, Jerry Kramer, all these guys are Hall of Fame players. And he stands in front of them and holds a football and says, Gentlemen, this is a football. <laughs> and they say that Lombardi went through the playbook page by page, started reading page one to them and said, we're going to go back to the essential, basic understanding of football. And Herb Adderley, who was a smart aleck wide receiver, I think you have to be a smart aleck to be a wide receiver, actually. You know, kind of... Anyway, they say that whenever Lombardi started reading that first page, Adderley raised his hand and said, Coach, could you slow down a little bit? <laughs> you know, basics are pretty important. And Jesus here talking about this matter about faith as a summation of his ministry, I think is fascinating. It, it, it's important. It, it's so basic that if we don't understand, you know, I, I was telling somebody, if you, I've been working on this passage for a while uh, because I've got slow, you know, I know. I've been in chapter 12 a couple of weeks. And uh, uh, that, that I've been working on it because I thought, you know, 
this speaks to the issue at some level of who can believe and what does it mean to believe. Who can believe and what does it mean? Well, I want to start with this first of all in this first section on just into this reality. It's number one, faith and the will. Look at verses 37 and 38. There were these Jesus spoke, but though he had performed so many signs before them, yet they were not believing in him. This was to fulfill the word of the Lord from Isaiah the prophet when he said, Lord, who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been shown? Or the, the arm of the Lord has been born or shown here. Now notice here it says there were many signs that Jesus did. In the book of John, uh, the word sign comes from the Greek word semeon. This is the word that shows up over and over and over. This was his first, when he, when he turned the water to wine, or grape juice if you're a church of God. Uh, <laughs> that's what we think. <laughs> Turn it to grape juice, not wine. Come on, we're Christians. <laughs> that's a hard sell. Uh, <laughs> I'm a company guy. <laughs> it says there that that was his first sign to show his glory, who he was. First sign. Then these other signs. And, and Jesus throughout his ministry was providing these actions or activities, not simply to do something, but as a sign. Now, the word semeon or sign here, the idea is uh, it's something that is done that represents a greater reality. Like Jesus saying, I am, I am Lord over creation. I can make water into grape juice. Or for you others, wine, whatever, you know. I can do that. Or whenever he stilled the, the storm. See, Simeon, or sign, is something that's done to communicate something larger. Something greater. It's, it, there, there were people that saw those things and never saw anything. Oh, that's great. That's, that's wonderful. I illustrate this uh, like this, that, that this thing on my hand, this, this ring, is a sign. It, 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 you know, it's, it's, it's a little valuable. You know, I, I remember when I first started wearing a ring, I, I'd never worn jewelry, and it bothered me. All, and I'd take it off and not wear it for a while. And, and Becky would say, I want you to wear that. And I said, well, okay, why? She goes, well, I want people to know you're taken. I said, hey, not too many people after this, dear, Okay. <laughs> Just relax. Really, trust me. Yeah. Not, not a lot of people just, you know, really going after this. It is an indication, though, that I am in commitment or covenant. This doesn't make me married. You know, this doesn't somehow have some power over me that I'm going to be faithful and I have to be married and be kind. It's a sign that I am. It's a symbol of that. Uh, This idea of it's always indicating something greater, something larger, something significant. And so Jesus had had, had made all of these signs, all of these these matters here uh, to, to indicate. And it says, and yet they were not believing. They didn't believe it. They saw it. They didn't believe it. You know, it, it can, it, that's because I want to come back to that, that belief, I want to suggest to you, is a matter of the will. I can see something and you can see something and simply just disregard it, can't we? Dismiss it. Faith or belief is really a function of the will. I see it, 
I understand it. I'll do something about it. Now, this is interesting or fascinating to me, at least, that, 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 that uh, uh, John records as he says, but they didn't believe it. And this was to fulfill. Now, that, that word there means to fill up to the full or the idea of, of fulfilling in completeness the word of Isaiah the prophet. Now, it, you, you can go back in this, and, and this comes out of Isaiah 53, where Isaiah says this, Who has believed our report? Or who has the arm of the Lord been shown to? This is the the psalm about the Messiah, Isaiah 53, if you remember that. This is is how the psalm starts. Not the psalm, what am I saying here? Y'all were confused, weren't you? (laughs) How Isaiah starts in 53.1. I just came out of altitude. I'm a little... (laughs) This is out of Isaiah 53. That when Isaiah says... Who's believed our report? He grew up, he says, as a, as a small root. What, Isaiah, what John seems to be doing here is suggesting that in the same way that the people did not believe God's word and report in the days of Isaiah, they're refusing to believe now. That what happened centuries before that, at least 700 years at least, the same thing is happening now. And this particular passage in Isaiah is the matter of the Messiah. John looks back and sees this. Now, let me tell you what I think he's doing here. Here's a word you want to write down. Pesher. P-E-S-H-E-R. P-E-S-H-E-R. There's a practice among rabbis of, of seeing an event in the present. And uh, and looking back in the Old Testament and saying, oh, 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 wait a minute. When that was said, this is what's fulfilling that. I don't know if you have, but I've read the Bible enough that uh, when I read some of these passages, when they say this was to fulfill, I think that's not what that passage was about in the Old Testament. Anybody ever done that? But me? Am I the only heretic? <laughs> Some of, those pass- what, what, what it, some of those passages are ripped out of context. <clears throat> Isaiah 9. The government should be upon his shoulder. They'll have a child. That was a, that was a promise made to Hezekiah that actually is going to happen then. Right? There was a child that's going to be born. It's going to be a miraculous thing that God was going to do back in Hezekiah. Go back and read Isaiah 9. This is a promise to the king. I'm going to do something you can't believe. The New Testament writers see that and realize, hey, the real fulfillment of that, it happened, is in Jesus. My New Testament professor said, the apostles can do this. If you do this, I'll ring you up. (laughs) It's pulling it out of its original context. You've seen this, I know. It's pulling it out of its original context and saying, this is what it really means. Every rabbi did that in Jesus' day. It's called pesher. Pesher. So they can take those passages and say that the Old Testament in reality, even though these are real historical events, the fulfillment of that passage really happens in Jesus in the New Testament. It's a fascinating practice. The idea here is that I believe what Isaiah or what John is saying is what happened back there, even though it happened, its fulfillment is full-blown, full-bore, full-out in respect to Jesus. Why? They would accept the fact that their fathers didn't listen to God. They would accept the fact that their follower, their fathers and their forefathers would not. 
But now John is taking that very statement in the fulfillment of its fullest expression from the past now given to the present. This unbelief, if you will, is this matter of as your fathers did not believe, now you are not believing. Because look at this. Here it says this. Who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been shown? Faith here is John, I think, is trying to help us to understand that it is actually something that we do on the basis of our will. You can read it. You can see it. You can hear it. But that doesn't guarantee that people can believe. Look at who's believed our report. They heard it. And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? They saw it. But they didn't believe. They didn't believe. Why? Because you have that capacity. Now, I'm going to go further here in a minute where he talks about another way. But I think this is instructive to us. Human beings have this incredible capacity of the will that after hearing the report, after seeing the arm of the Lord revealed, can say no. That's staggering. It's, it's amazing to think that this matter here, that faith is the matter of the will, I will believe. I will take what I've seen and believe it. These did not. I, I, I thought about another verse here. You will, just hold your hand there in, in, a, in a John. Go to your table of contents in the front of there and find the book of Hebrews. I'll find mine in the book of Hebrews. I want to show this comments on this, I think. 1148 in my Bible. 1148. In Hebrews... This similar idea of hearing, understanding, the arm of the Lord being, being born and shown. In Hebrews chapter 4, the writer makes this statement. Therefore, let us fear or have reverence if while a promise remains of entering His rest, any of you would come short of it. For indeed, we have heard good news preached to us just as they also but the word that they heard did not profit them because it was not united by faith in those who heard. The problem isn't the message. The problem isn't that they haven't heard. The problem is they have not united or, or, or put together with what they've heard their faith. This seems to me to be some of the similar thing that's going on in Jesus' day. Who's heard the report? These people have. Who've seen the arm of the Lord born and shown? They have. But they will not believe. It's, it's, it's fascinating that there is this matter of the will that has to be engaged. Uh, in this matter of faith, notice here, he says, this was to fulfill the word of Isaiah. Lord, who's believed us? Well, these people... Now, remember... Now, remember, let's hold on. In this first section, we're going to see people who didn't believe. In the second section, we're going to see people, what, who did believe. Okay? So there's something going on here. Something going on here. These, there's some of them. But the question is, in my mind, for this, that if I've heard the report and I've seen the arm of the Lord born, do I then engage my will and believe? This is a moral component, I think, in belief. I, I think sometimes we forget this, that there's a moral dimension to belief. It is me saying, I will believe. 
Does that make sense? Now, let me show you a verse here. Go back to John 3 just for a minute because I want to... Again, this is, this is summing up a lot of material out of John. This is, this is summing up a good deal. This is where Jesus is going to leave the crowds. In John 3, where Jesus has taught about, John has recorded about, for whoever believes in Him shall, shall be saved and who doesn't. In John um, uh, 3.35 and 36, it says this, The Father loves the Son and has given all things into His hands. He who believes in the Son has eternal life. But he who does not obey the Son will not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. It's fascinating to me right here that John, in different translations, uh, NIV, I think it's a little loose here, says reject. Uh, that's not really the word there. It's tereo in Greek, which means to keep or obey. It's fascinating to me that when we think about how we engage our will to believe. I'm going to engage my will. I've seen the sign. God's given me evidence. Now I've got to do something. I've got to believe. If I understand faith to be a matter of the will, then I would suggest you this passage teaches us that the opposite of faith is not doubt. The opposite of faith is not unbelief. What is the opposite of faith in verse 36? To disobey. Disobedience. John seems to me to do a pretty good job of showing the contrast here. He who believes in the Son has what? Eternal life. But, that's the contrast now, so he who believes in the Son has eternal life. But, now here's the contrast. He who does what? Disobeys or does not obey. The Son doesn't have life. See, the contrast there is pretty, pretty, pretty stark. That the idea here, again, comes back to faith as a matter of the will, is that I will to believe to obey. I will to believe to obey. I, I would suggest, at least in, in some of my experiences, I uh, 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 did some uh, teaching up in Nebraska and talked to some people about these matters and others, that I think that in America particularly, there's been a somewhat of a division between what I believe and how I act. We sometimes think we can believe and not act. We think we can see and understand and not act, but the, the New Testament understands faith to be fundamentally an act of the will. We don't to always believe in, I mean, we don't always obey in everything. Yeah. We obey in someone. Yeah. So. Yeah. That's, where we're, that's where we're saying, when we're living in faith, as we live in faith, we're trusting, we're depending, and our will is engaged to say, I trust you. I, I, it gets simpler to me. I just Maybe you're thinking I'm too simple. But I've just you know, gotten to the point where I say, you know, if I said to Stan, if Stan, or Stan said to me, Stan, or, he wouldn't say that. <laughs> Stan would say to me, I've been away too long. Stan would say to me, Cliff, I'm going to take you to Ted's if you'll meet me at the front of the atrium. And thank you very much, Stan. I really appreciate that. Uh, uh, <laughs> I'll take you to Ted. You meet me at noon. If I believe him, all I do be there at noon. This is not that difficult to understand. I, I think we ought to at some point say, you know, maybe I need to take a look at what I understand belief to be. It's an act of the will. It's where I trust, where I have faith and confidence. Stand. I'm coming to that. 
I'm coming to that. That's where I'm doing. I knew that. I knew that was coming. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, I'm running this class. No. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm uh, on my own pace then. No, no, that's right. Yeah. That, because this is, it, it, it then begins to unwind in some other areas. But I, I think sometimes we have to just back this again is Jesus kind of summa, or John's summation on this incredible concept of belief. Why do people believe? Why do people not believe? It's because, again, I want to suggest that when they see the signs, when they see the arm of the Lord born, then they believe. It's got to be an act of the will. Now, let, let's move on here. I got, let's say this. What would this look like in our lives if we, if we believe this, if we, if we took this notion that faith is an act of my will? I would suggest, first of all, it's refuse to wait for certain feelings before you obey. Can we do that? We, we kind of wait for certain feelings. Instead of just say, hey, refuse to wait for certain feelings before you obey what you know to be true about Jesus and his teachings. Don't wait for the feelings. You say, well, I don't feel. Well, you know, a lot of times... People do things they don't feel like, you know. I, I, I don't always feel like mowing the yard, and I have all summer. And I have an ear infection now because of that. I told you it was dangerous for me. I do. I have an ear infection. I'm shocked by that. I but... You know, I don't always feel like doing things. We don't live our lives. Hannah Whittall-Smith, you ought to read this book sometimes, The Christian Secret of a Happy Life. The Christian Secret of a Happy Life. She says we reduce Christianity to feelings. We, say, we don't do that in anything else. When we don't feel like it, we go to work. When we don't feel like being nice to somebody, we still have enough maturity to say, I'm not going to say what I feel like saying. I'm going to reel this stuff in. Only in the area of religion do we reduce it to feelings. And I want to suggest to you that Faith is an act of the will. I will obey. I will do what this says. I may not understand it. I may not get it. I may not have it all figured out. But I will do this. So refuse to wait for feelings. Number two, compile a list of Jesus' actions in the Gospels that convince you he is the one who he said he is. He's the one who said he is. See, this was said. He, he did many signs and, and many things happened, but they didn't believe. Well, maybe if you would look and say, what, what is Jesus doing in the Gospels? Maybe that would help you to say, you know what? I really do trust this guy. I really do believe him. I read this uh, in, at uh, Colorado Springs the other day when I, I thought this. So maybe this is for somebody. I, I'll just say this. Jesus never had a harsh word for any repentant person. Never. He had plenty of harsh words to say about those self-contained, self-willed religious people. Go read him. Go look at him and see what he does and how he acts and say, you know, could I trust this one? Could, could I trust him? Look at how he interacts with people who come humbly and open-hearted. He never has a harsh word for them. So maybe you could compile this. Okay, number two. Here's the big one. Thank you, Stanton, for that segue. <clears throat> uh, faith, I'm sorry. Uh, I'll get there in a second. Pressing too many times. I'm a guy, you know, just keep clicking. Becky said, faith. God. 
I had it. <laughs> Becky, okay. Faith and perception. Now look here. Verse 39. For this reason, they could not believe. Now, here's the question grammatically. At verse 39, does for this reason they could not believe? Is it referring to the previous verses? Because it says for. Use of the word for is a substantiation or a, a giving of evidence. For this reason, they couldn't believe. It says right here. For Isaiah said again, he has blinded their eyes, he's hardened their hearts so they would not see with their eyes and perceive with their heart and be converted and I heal them. Um, I want to suggest something here. When you go back, now this comes out of Isaiah 6, if you want to go back and read the original context and passage. Isaiah 6, it begins at verse 10 there, when, when Isaiah has this great vision of God, he's going to, you know, John refers to that, 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 Jesus, that John, when he was in the temple and the, saw the Lord in his glory, that he was actually, in some way or another, seeing Jesus and his glory ahead. He said this because he saw his glory. If you go back and read and you see this here, it sounds like, and you know, there are people believe, you know, and I understand this. It says that God has blinded people. That God has made it where they can't. And, and the word here, it says, and for this reason they could not. That word there means could not. I mean, it isn't like it's hard or difficult. It means they cannot. They cannot believe. They can't. Because, he says... He's blinded their eyes. He's hardened their hearts so they would not see in the eyes of their perceiver of their heart. So, so, so look at this. Let me give you some background on this idea. One is Isaiah is quoting here, or, or John is quoting Isaiah out of Hebrews chapter 6. I'm sorry, Isaiah chapter 6 verse 10. And in the Old Testament, in the Old Testament, the word render is used. And it's the Hebrew word that means to make fat or to satiate, if you will. You know, you're just so full. You know, you got, you've eaten so much pizza, you just couldn't eat anything. You're satiated. It's in, in Isaiah, this Hebrew term that John is picking up off of and, and working here is the idea of he rendered them fat or satiated so they could not believe, so they could not see, so they could not hear. What's going on here? Let me give you an, uh, an idea as I've worked through this and, and, and tried to understand in more. Remember, he said, go to a people, I, he said Isaiah, and keep telling them and keep preaching and keep speaking and keep saying. And Isaiah says, well, how long do I have to do this? You know, till next month? He said, until the cities are laid waste. There is a Hebrew idea here. That the reason that these people are rendered unable to believe is they've heard the word so many times and they've seen the message so many times and they've listened to it. It's old news to them that this word satiated means they are so full of fat in their, that's the imagery, that they are now rendered incapable. Here's the idea. I think we think that when we hear the word of God, or hear it preached, we leave the same. I want to suggest to you from the Old Testament and the New Testament, 
that when we hear the word of God or the preaching of the word of God, something happens. We either become more alert and aware or we get dull. Does that make sense? Here's an example. I just, I'm going to keep coming at this. Um, There is a a, a situation um, that, um, I've got my notes here. Uh, I'll find it. Where am I? Here we go. It's called uh, sensory adaptation. Sensory adaptation. Sensory adaptation is what happens over uh, repeated exposure to something. Sensory adaptation is after you're exposed to something for long periods of time, you fail to sense it. Here's an example. Uh, I've often wondered about this. Somebody came up to me one day and they said, you have some new cologne on, don't you? I thought, well, that's a little personal, but you know, I do. And I, I said, can you smell that? And they went, yeah. I can. Sensory adaptation. After you smell something and you're around something a while, you don't notice it anymore. I had a friend that had a dog, a smelly dog. <laughs> they don't live here. It's none of you. I said to Becky and I went, do those people not know their house stinks? You, you know what? Listen, repeated exposure. Repeated exposure. The what? Yeah. Yes. We, when I lived in Texas, we lived by a railroad track. We really did. Ran right down the street in Beaumont, Texas. I mean, there was tracks. I didn't run down the street. I mean, <laughs> that would be a misstatement. <laughs> but there were railroad tracks in the street. And when we first moved there, it was like I thought, the, you know, after a while, I went to sleep. Didn't, didn't, didn't bother me. Listen, when God tells Isaiah, he says, you go keep telling them, but they won't hear it. These are not people that heard one time and that was it. They've heard this over and over and over, and over, and over, and over. And is it then a Hebraic understanding? I'm just, I'm just offering this as a possibility. You don't have to believe this. Is it a possibility here that what we're seeing is when he says, and he rendered their hearts hardened. Why? Because he kept sending the word. And they kept resisting. He kept sending the light. And they kept looking away. Listen, this is the the, the idea that in this sense that God did render them unable to believe because he kept sending the message. Sensory adaptation. I, I, I tell you what, I tell my students at the university where I teach, it is of no great comfort to me to say to them, some of you are going to leave this university worse than when you got here. You're going to hear the word Over and 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 over. And it can harden you. That's a frightening thought, isn't it? But I'm telling you, this is where I think we need to be alert to the fact that when the Word of God, when we hear the message of God, we ought to perk up. 
And I've told them that. I said, it brings me no joy. But I've watched it over the last 24 years. I've seen young people come to our school that by the time they left, they were worse than when they got there. Their heart was harder. They were less sensitive. They were less alert. They were unable even to detect their own situation. So it's, it's this idea that God is sending the word. So he makes their heart fat. He renders them fat. How? Could they just keep getting more and more and more and more and more? I remember saying to Becky one time we'd been on a vacation and we'd eaten out and gone to Louisiana and eaten a lot of real rich food, you know, like catfish cubion and, uh, you know, all kinds of uh, crawfish étouffée and sucked the head. Like, and, you know, th- you know, you got to suck the head. And I remember saying to her, I said, you know, I feel so full, I would like some beans and cornbread. <laughs> you ever been like that? Yeah. You know, I... Because I was so satiated from all of this other... You read reports about this. I mean, Oscar Wilde, if you ever... I don't particularly encourage you to study his life unless you want to just see how life just kind of goes to the dregs. But Wilde, toward the end of his life, who lived an incredibly sensuous and and, and life of, of all kinds of excesses, at the end of his life said, nothing brings me joy anymore. Nothing brings me joy anymore. What, what is that? That's it's sensory to where we're just adapted and fat in our heart. It can't, listen, again, I'm going to say to you, how can that mean, uh, I'm just saying, other than that, when, when it says down here, nevertheless, many did believe. There are a lot of people who did believe. What's the difference? I want to suggest to you, the difference here is how people respond when they hear the word. Again, back to Hebrews, if you will, if you want to go look at this later. The hardening of the heart is something the book of Hebrews talks about on a regular basis. In chapter 3, verse 7 and 8, in chapter 3, verse 15, in chapter 4, verse 7, this phrase goes over and over. It says, if you hear his voice today, that's what the writer says, do not harden your heart. If you hear his voice today, Don't harden your heart. See, where the connection is, is that the the Hebrew poet, uh, prophet is, God is hardening their heart. He is blinding them. With what? The truth. He is blinding them. It's coming. They've refused it. You know, I I read a quote the other day, and I'm, I'm I'm praying this today. The guy said this, that, that real preaching or teaching only occurs when somebody else hears another voice. See, real teaching and preaching happens when you hear another voice than mine. Right? Listen, if all you're hearing is me, you've probably wasted an hour. Real preaching and teaching is when somebody finally hears another voice and says, this is the truth. This is for you. This is real. In the sense that God sent His Word, sent Isaiah and said, keep going, keep speaking, keep preaching, keep teaching, He made their heart fat. I tell you something, I tell you what this makes me do. You don't have to. 
when I go to church, when I go to chapel, you know what? I go to chapel and there's students up there trying to be Sandy Patty and Larnell Harris, you know, and they're not. <laughs> and they're pl- they think because they can play three chords, you know, they're Michael W. Smith. And it gets grating on me at times, but I smile. I just told them this. If I get one more worship leader at my school, if they keep leading worship like they're passing a kidney stone, oh, Lord. Right? There's me nuts when worship leaders do that. You look like you're passing a kidney stone, man. You know? I go in those meetings. I listen. I'm there. And listen, when I sit down, I say, hey, you better listen up and shut up. You probably know more, Cliff, than the person that's speaking. But you better watch over that heart of yours. You better be listening for that other voice. You better not get proud that you've got a degree in this or a degree in that, or you know more. Listen, I set up straight and say, I'm listening for that other voice. I'm listening for that. So, so the writer of Hebrews says, if you hear his voice, don't you dare harden your heart. I'm just going to offer that as an understanding here. That when God sends the word, something happens to you. And something happens to me. We either become more malleable, more open, more aware, or we become less malleable. We become less alert. We become, it's not a zero-sum game here. So in one sense, you can say, he hardened their heart. He blinded them. How? Just because he wanted, hey, I want you to go to hell. No. Because that's what happens when Isaiah keeps going and said, I'm going to keep going and they'll hear and not listen. They will see and not perceive. Here's what I would encourage you to think about. I'll do that later. Refuse to listen to God's Word in a casual manner. I'm not talking about being afraid. I'm not talking about being nervous. I'm talking about sitting up straight and saying, who is this Word from? You know, I... I, 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 you know, I have all these quirks. You know that. But, but I, I try to tell my students, I say, you, you can't be casual about this stuff. When, when I have a student, they'll have a prayer. And I'm not, I'm probably being, ju- but I'm, I'm, I'm just telling you, this is how it works with me. When somebody is praying or leading us in worship and at school or something like that, and somebody prays and go, and Lord, we ask all this in Jesus' name. You may be seated. I don't know how you go from talking to God to talking to people like that. Does that? How do you say, and in Jesus' name we thank you? You may be seated. I can't do that. There's got to be a break here. And we pray this in Jesus' name. You may be seated. See, we, we get casual with this stuff. We're playing around with it. 
It, it, it's not something we control. It's not something we have authority over. It's God sending His Word. It's God sending His Speaker. It's God sending His truth. And we said like, oh well, okay, I heard that before. I tell my students all the time, the two things we all have to fight against is the idea that I already know it all. I've already heard it all. And that's all I need. Would you ask God to sensitize your heart? So you're not getting out early today. I'm taking Mike's time here real quick. Finally, this is a faith and values. Notice here, and I, you know, I may not have answered the question here. I, there's a different school of thought, and I'm okay with that. Nevertheless, many of the rulers believed in him. Even after all that statement, after people that rejected, after people had been hardened, there were still some that when they saw the light, when they heard the truth, they what? Believed. Now listen, I know people are trying to unpack this in a different way, but this word here that says up here that they were not believing in verse 37, and the word they did believe in verse 4, they're not, they're not two different words, they're the same verb. So this isn't a different kind of believing. The ones in 37 didn't believe, the ones in 42 did. How do you make room for that? You know, Augustine, who was speaking what Origen said in the third century, said this. The same sun that melts the wax hardens the clay. The same sun. The same sun hardens the wax. I mean, uh, uh, melts the wax, hardens the clay. What, it must be that there is again in this matter something about the heart. You know, I tell you guys, and I've and I told everybody I know that when I was up in Nebraska, I told them, I said, look, if you get anything out of my teaching, you hear anything good and anything helps you, you're telling me more about you than you are about me. Because the parable of the sower indicates the sower didn't make any difference and the seed didn't make any difference. It was the ground that made the difference. So they're telling me more about them than they are about me. They're saying, I'm open, I'm, a, I'm alert, I, I'm concerned, I'm interested here. And I'm open to God doing something in my heart. These did believe. They did believe. They did see the truth. They understood. They believed. Now what's interesting here about the value. Look at the value here. But they would not confess him. Fearing that they would be put out of the synagogue. For they loved the approval. And that word there. It's interesting. Uh, translated uh, 43. They loved the approval. That word. Maybe your version has it. But in, in, the, in Greek, it's doxa, and it says they loved the glory of men rather than the glory of God. That, that word there is translated approval. Can you believe and still be have the value of being manipulated and be tyrannically controlled by the opinions of other people? You know, this idea of that I'm still, I believe in Jesus, but, but I, you know, I, I, I want people's approval. I don't, I, don't, I don't want to make you psychotic or crazy where you don't care about anything. But whose approval is most important? In, in terms of faith. You know, I told you maybe that years ago I was at a place and I was leading in prayer. They asked me to pray and I did. And a guy came up to me. I thought, that's pretty arrogant. He said, uh, you know, I didn't, I didn't like your prayer, what you said. And I don't normally do this, but I just said, well, I wasn't talking to you. 
And he's, huh? I said, you know, I wasn't praying this prayer in order for you to approve of it. I was trying to talk to God as best I knew for us as a community. I'm not saying we don't care about people's approval. I'm saying that our faith ought to be, at some level, that we care about God's approval. That we care about what He values. That we care about what He thinks is important. God here, or according to John, these people were saying, well, you know, it's not going to be good for us. And I think we have to make that decision on a fairly regular basis. Whose approval do I want to live by? In my faith, in my confidence, in my confidence in God. Do, do I want to, do I want to uh, have His approval? It says they believed. I'm not saying they didn't believe. This is kind of a, a difficult passage. Because we, you know, we want to think, well, if you're going to believe, you've got to confess. Well, they didn't. They didn't confess Him. But they believed. Maybe your value in mind needs to be two things. and I'm going to finish with it. Two things here. Maybe we need to make a little more room for people who are a little shy about their faith. See, it says right here, they believe, but they wouldn't confess. There's no denigration or saying, but they weren't really Christians, so they're going to hell. Yeah. Doesn't say that. It says they just didn't confess. I, I think sometimes we make shy people, which I'm not, shy people feel bad that they're not as mouthy as the rest of us are. Right? That if you're not talking and blabbing and going, you know, all the time, you know, maybe, maybe we should make some room for shyer people. Quit, quit letting me and other people beat you up about not talking up. You know, there are a lot of times when I should not talk up. <laughs> but, but here these people believe him, but they're not vocal about it. Give yourself a little room here. And second of all, in this matter, this week, do something that you know God approves of. It could be simply that you pray before you have lunch. Or it could be that you say a kind word to someone. Or it could be that you give to a ministry. But, but do something this week that, that you do consciously that you know God would approve. It's probably going to be in the area of love, isn't it? That you're going to do something that is motivated, calculated out because of love. Well, this is a big idea. Belief. Go later sometime in John chapter 20 when he says this. All the books in the world could not hold everything that Jesus did and said. But these things are recorded that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ and have life through Him. Amen? Amen. Amen. See you next week.